Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, the first time the Apostle Paul was in jail was in the city of Philippi. Uh, He had gone there uh, by very clear Lord's direction. He and, and Silas and they were Uh, preaching the gospel and some people getting saved and God was doing some miraculous things that started to cost some people some money. And then that's when the whole ruckus begins. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. Actually, they were beaten uh, badly before they were thrown in jail. And uh, they're in there and they're somehow managing to sing and praise God and God miraculously... uh, He does a miracle that the end result is that the jailer and his family come to Christ. And then Paul heads on down the road. He was only in jail, less than 24 hours really, but it's pretty brutal time. Then he heads on down the road and there's a church started there that really does well. Uh, So the second time that the apostle Paul is in jail, he finds it's in Jerusalem. And again, you know, the preaching of the gospel and all that and some misunderstandings created this huge uproar. And, and so he's put in jail and he's being held there. And then for his own safety, he's moved away from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which is up on the coastline. And he waits there for two years. He's, he's appealed to Caesar to hear his case, to the highest case, be like our Supreme Court. Anyway, so he appeals to, to Caesar and he waits in Caesarea for two years. First time, less than 24 hours. Second time, two years, but he's not done. They finally do move him to Rome for his trial. He waits another two years. Now, during that two years, it was just kind of like house arrest. People could come and go and he could write letters and receive letters. And it's during that time, those two years in Rome, where he writes the letter that we have in our Bible called Philippians. He writes back to the church in Philippi. And just let me summarize the letter. We're going to get into it all summer here, but let me summarize the letter. What he's really telling them is, look, you got to go all in with Jesus. you got to go all in. There isn't any other way to live the Christian life. You go ahead and go to that slide, Edward. It, it, there's no other way. Whether things are going good or bad, uh, whether your life is in order or it's falling apart, you need to go all in with Jesus and learn how to live that way. Okay, and so that's what he is calling them to. So let's go to the book of Philippians and read from the first chapter here today. It is on page number 1348 in the Bible that's under the chairs there, and we'd encourage you to follow along with that. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And so Paul uses a standard way of greeting people. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. So Timothy is there with Paul as he's writing the letter. And he says this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, and that word bishops means overseer. That's just an older way to translate it, bishops. But it means overseers. The overseers and deacons. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, 
being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, in jail, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, please help us to see the things that you're telling us here in a way that helps us to change how we think, helps us to change how we live. That you might be honored and glorified, Lord, as we open our hearts and minds to you today, ready to say yes to whatever you would speak to us about. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are going to start in verse 6 here in this passage. So let's read verse 6 again. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So let's just make sure we understand. He said, being confident. He says, I'm persuaded. I, I am convinced that this is true. What is true? That he, who's the he? It's God. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, but it's God who has started this work in his life and in the lives of the Philippians that he is writing to, that he who has begun a good work. So when does that work start? I don't know for sure, but I do know this. For me, on April 4th, 1975, the Lord Jesus Christ brought me into a personal relationship with him. I humbled myself and said, oh God, I am a sinner. I've disobeyed you. I'm worthy of hell and that's where I'm headed. But I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And right now, by faith, I receive him as my savior. And that point, certainly, he has begun this good work in me. Uh, he was obviously working in my life to get me there, okay? But anyway, at that point, from the time we're saved, he says, he started this, he will what? Complete it. Well, I thought I was already saved. Well, I am already saved. The, the, in the, uh, the spiritual realm, my spirit, uh, every sin has been forgiven. I have new life from him. He lives within me. He's working. Okay, so I'll set, right? Well, no, the reality is that we have been saved. If you've received Jesus as Savior, only if you've done that, but if you receive Jesus as Savior, you are forever saved from the penalty of sin. You will never have to pay that penalty. Isn't that good news? You'll never have to pay that penalty. It is paid in full. And the moment you receive Christ as Savior, your sins are forgiven forever. Now, have you stopped sinning? Some of you go, I'm in church. What am I supposed to say? 
Right, and so we, we struggle with this. Now, he's, he not only set us free from the penalty of sin, he's also actually, and we're going to do the Lord's Supper today and talk about this a little bit when we do, but he has set us free from the controlling power of sin. We can actually make different decisions. We can grow. We can do better. And so here's the reality. He saved me from the penalty of my sin. That's done, settled forever. Right now, he's in the process of saving me from sin and its controlling power, and this results in my life. So there's a sense in which I'm being saved, right? That makes sense? Now, here's the deal. I know it's hard to do, but right now I'm going to ask a question, and it's really okay to raise your hand and say, that's me. Anybody confused? No, okay. <laughs> All right, so I am saved, forever saved. In, he's now in my life. He's bringing the results of that into my life. He is saving me. And there will come a day when I will be saved from the presence of sin. Amen. Won't that be nice? Amen. You know, those things that nag at you and get you and, and you, whatever. He's going to save us. So he is in the process. So here's the deal. Paul is saying, I am absolutely confident. I am persuaded. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what he started, he's going to finish. Okay? Now, if you genuinely receive Christ as Savior, guess what? He's going to finish this work in your life. See, here's, which we all want to know. This is the truth I want you to get today. God is always at work in your life. You know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is at work in your life. If you're here and you've never received Christ as Savior yet, you know what? He's working in your life. How do I know? You're here. And he's speaking to you from his word. Okay? But so God is always at work in your life. He's at work in your life when things are going well. He's at work in your life when things are not going well. He's at work in your life when you think you understand everything and figure out. He's at work in your life when you don't have it all understood. He is always at work in your life. He's at work in your life when you can see it and feel it. And he's at work in your life when you can't see it and you can't feel it and you find yourself wondering, where is God? Guess what? He's at work in your life in ways you aren't even aware of at those times. Okay, so he started. And by the way, if he left it up to me, he said, okay, well, I saved you on your own. You've got to make your way there on your own. Guess what? I'm not making it. I'm not. But what he does is he works in my life. He enables me. I still have to choose, but he enables me to do what's good and right. He enables me to see what's really true and what's not. He, he, he works in my life. And so uh, we need him. We, we're not going to make it in, in the, the other end if, if God isn't at work in our lives. But he's promised, isn't he? What's the promise here? He started the work and he's going to what? I'm asking you, what's he going to do? I don't think you all believe it. Is he going to finish it? He's going to finish the work. He's going to. And so in those times when you find yourself in the deepest, darkest moments of life and you're looking at it and say, how in the world am I ever going to get out of here? You know one thing for sure, that at some point God is going to complete this work in you. Now, when's he going to complete it? Well, he says here until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's when the Lord returns for his people. He's going to all the way till then. But if we die before then, I think that's when he completes it for us. Okay. He completes that process when, when we pass into his presence. So whether we die and experience this or whether he's taking us there, it, it's going to happen. And so 
Do you see how when, when you're, you feel like you're stuck and you, you, you don't know, maybe you've not really been cooperating with God and you've been going the wrong way and you're, you're, you, know, you don't feel right about that and you're experiencing consequences in your life. Remember, wait a minute. Jesus saved me. And he's at work in my life and he's going to complete this work. He, and by the way, the work is this. He's changing you to be like Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's changing your mind to think like Jesus. He's changing your heart to feel like Jesus. And I don't just mean emotions feeling. I mean deep down kind of feel. He's, he's changing you to be like Jesus. So that is going to happen. You'll still be you, but you'll think like Jesus and, and have a heart like Jesus. Now, I think about this. You know, the Bible talks... Um, Peter talks about, he says, that the way we live, there's you know, these certain qualities and things we need to add to our lives. And if we add these things to our lives, he said, it's going to affect your entrance into heaven. Not whether you make it, but it's going to affect what you experience when you get to heaven. You know, if you cooperate with the Lord and let him change you and grow you, you know, that you turn away from the old ways and you, you say no to the ways of the world and you believe in God and you're making decisions that are consistent with that. He says, that's going to affect how you experience heaven. What if you don't? What if you aren't cooperating? What if you aren't paying attention or you're half-hearted in it and you, you know, you're distracted and, and you're experiencing that sin which so easily besets us and the weights that you, you know, you're there. What? You're going to make it to heaven? Yes. Yes, he's faithful. He's going to complete it. Will you experience heaven the same way as the person who has surrendered to the Lord? I think it's going to be different, but it's all heaven. Okay? It'll be heaven to you no matter what. But here's the deal. He is going to finish the job of changing you to be like Jesus. Now, if you are living in this life and you aren't working on that, and you aren't yielding to the Lord and letting him change, you think, you know what I think is going to happen? I think when all of a sudden you get down to the end and it's bang, boom, changed, you're going to feel like this. Go ahead, Eduardo. <laughs> what happened? Okay, because, you know, you haven't that you haven't been growing. You haven't been living that and, and experiencing it. But if you have been growing and, and, and experiencing, you know, that change that God is doing in a closer relationship, when it happens, it'll be more like this. Woo, wow. It's even better than I thought. Okay. Now, to be honest with you, I really don't have a lot of insight on what's going to be like. Except that Peter did say, he says, if you'll let God change you from the inside out and you'll let him add these qualities to your life, he says, he says, an entrance into heaven will be ministered to you, and he says, abundantly. And so, let's get ready now, huh? Amen. Let's avoid the shock, okay? And remember, God is always at work in your life. That's what verse 6 says tells us here. Um, and and say, just say, you know, if you know Jesus as Savior, God is absolutely at work in your life, but he's working his way, isn't he? He's working his way. He's working as some, a brother in Christ told me yesterday, you know, he's, he's working on his timetable, not ours. But so no matter what we're experiencing, no matter whether we think this is the time when God needs to show up and it doesn't seem like he does, or this is what he needs to do and he does it, the reality is he is working in his life and he knows what 
is best. He knows what you need and he knows when you need it. And sometimes that means that you have to wait. That means that sometimes when you want a solution to your problem, God says, no, I really want you to learn something here. So you need to live with this problem a little while longer because the choices that got you here are not good choices and you need to make a different choice. We'll actually talk more about choices in a minute. So where is it that God is taking us? What is this good work that he's doing? Well, let's, let's go back and look. We'll see some things, some work that God has already completed in our lives, okay? Some work which God has already completed. Verse number one. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Do you think he might have left a few church members out? The ones who aren't saints? Huh. Do you realize the moment you received Christ Jesus as Savior, you became a saint? I'm Saint Walt. <laughs> Although maybe when you think about that, maybe I should use a little more official title. I'm Saint Walter. <laughs> you say, what? Now your background, depending on what religious background you're from, you think of saints and you think of, you know, stained glass windows and halos and people in the past and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible is very clear in how it talks about saints. Saints means holy ones. That's what that word means. Holy people, saints. And when you and I receive Jesus Christ as Savior, how many of our sins does he forgive? All of them. And what happens to our dead spirit? It what? It comes to life. Why? Because God himself moves in and makes us alive. So in that very core of your being, who you are at the deepest levels, he has changed. And so what's he already completed? We were sinners. But he made us saints. Amen. Okay? We were sinners. He made us saints. Now, I asked you earlier, have you stopped sinning yet? No. Maybe you had a good week. I don't know. <laughs> You know, and sin, sin is a serious thing. It's not a light thing, right? Sin is not a, never a good thing. It's always a bad thing for us. Uh, it's never something that's going to grow us closer to the Lord. We can't ever say, well, sure is glad I sinned because I learned. No, it doesn't work that way. But here's the reality, is that he changed my identity when I received Jesus. He changed your identity when you received Jesus. The deep down part of you. Now, there's a whole lot of your thinking and your experiences and your emotions and your habits that got to work out. And that's what he's doing in this life. But when we talk about receiving Christ, he changed who you are in your deepest being. And so you're no longer a sinner. You are now a saint. You are a holy one. You are a saint who's learning not to sin. See the difference? Because here, here's the difference it makes. When you find yourself in those places, and we all find ourselves in those places, sometimes it's evident to everybody, sometimes it's only within you and nobody else knows. But you're in that place, you're thinking, what is the point? What hope? I am never going to get this right. I'm never going to overcome this. First of all, that's not true. You will, because there's going to come a day he's going to finish it. But if you say, I'm just a sinner, that I'm just a sinner. And that's what you're believing. How are you going to live? 
Yeah, because what's the point? I give up. I can't. But if at those points in time you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, Jesus died. He paid for the penalty. So there's no, no penalty for this in, in eternity. That's not there. And, and he, he made me a saint. He changed me. And said, there is hope for me. I can make a different choice here. Okay? And then so you make a different choice and then you mess up again. But you can make a different choice and you mess up again. And you be... But we can go forward. You understand that? You start seeing yourself differently. It no longer needs, should define who you are when you fail and when you sin. It's not who you are if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That is good. You understand why the word gospel means good news? He's forever changed us. And he's changing now. He's changing how I think. And he's changing what I love. And he's changing how I act. All of those kinds of things. But it's because I am now a, a saint. That's some of the work he's already completed. Okay? Second thing, he's given us each other. So, oh, I thought it was going to be something really exciting. <laughs> so just real quick, <clears throat> I do this. Look around. Just go ahead and look around. Don't, don't make too much eye contact, but look around. Okay? He's given us each other. Okay? And, and this is what we see here. He says, in fact, let's just read the, this, the rest of the scripture here that we need to look at for this. Verse 2. Oh, we, sorry. Yeah, we already read that. Verse 3. I thank my God. I want, you, I want you to see how Paul sees these brothers and sisters in Christ of his. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7. Just it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and you've already seen me in jail. I started that way with you guys. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you've been faithful, preaching the gospel with me. He says, you all are partakers with me of grace. So if I were to say, what do, I mean, you all look like, you're all sorts of different people. By the way, that's a good thing, right? It'd be really boring if everybody looked like me, okay? But we look, we're all different. And we all come from different backgrounds, different family lines, different experiences in life. But you know what we can absolutely say we have in common if we go around the room? I say, are you saved by grace? Yeah. You saved by grace? Yeah. You saved by grace? Every one of us have been saved by grace and are being changed by his grace. And so he says that we have this together. For verse 8, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I long for you. I haven't seen you. It's been, it's, it's been like 10 years now. Actually, Paul, I think, was in there five years after the peace. But anyway, it's been years. I long for you. And, and I experience this, and I think probably a lot of you do too, but when I see you come in or when I run into you someplace that we're doing something together, or there's just a, a longing to be connected with you to experience what Jesus has done when he moved into us and made us one. So here's, here's a thought for you. This relationship that Jesus has given us, is, it's a bond better than blood. In other words, we have our natural families, right? And, you know, the old blood is thicker than water, right? 
that idea. People, you know, that bond, the family bond. And it's so true. I mean, you know, my brother, the relationship I have with him, of course, certainly my wife and my kids and Grant, that's awesome. But I got to tell you that this bond is a better bond than the family bond. I don't even know how to elaborate on it too much. They just say what's, what's really awesome is when your family is also your spiritual family. That's even better. Okay? But look at this. Look, Paul talks about each other. Okay? Each other. And then he says a bunch of things about that. Let's go there, Edward. Each other. Okay? He says, I am so grateful. We're so grateful. We're praying for each other. We have joy in each other. We have fellowship with each other. We have a longing for each other. We have a hard connection with each other, shared ministry experiences. We've seen God work together. We, God's grace is at work in each other, and we have this deep affection for each other. And if anybody besides me, and if, if I'm a speech teacher, I am, I teach homeschool students, and if any of them ever stopped and held this pose, I would say, don't do that. <laughs> I just caught myself there. Um, any of you like me that if you just do what you feel like you're going to go someplace and sit by yourself and turn on the TV or read but you're going to be how many of you kind of, I'm pretty cool by myself okay now we need to learn that it's fine to be by yourself but you need these relationships that God has given you you need it. And, and the, the, how many of you are saying, man, I am just an extrovert. I am a party looking for a place to happen. Okay? All right? So you guys need to learn to appreciate this too. Otherwise, you'll just buzz through it and not even notice it. Not even see it. You need to learn it too. But we need to understand what it is that God has given it and what he does in our lives and how important it is. Let me show you some diagrams here. Okay? So we all have a relationship with the Lord. Okay? We kind of all start in the same place. Right? Uh, different backgrounds, different, all sorts of things. But when it comes to being saved, we all start in the same place, right? Okay. But then we grow. God is at work in our lives. He's growing us. And we grow kind of at different speeds sometimes, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, but we, we kind of grow and we're growing closer to the Lord. And then go ahead to the next one. If we will start focusing on growing closer to the Lord together, Man, it'll make a big difference in your life. It'll make a big difference how you grow. It'll make a big difference when your life is falling apart. And, and it'll give you a ministry to have when your life is being blessed by God. I mean, we need this togetherness. And something is happening. And we'll see in this diagram before we're done. And by the way, one of the things that happens, and it's, it's so, let's say that you do struggle with sin in a certain area. And you're doing real well, and all of a sudden you aren't doing real well. You failed again, and maybe multiple times, and you're like, duh, duh, duh. and you know what your natural tendency is going to be to do? To pull away. To pull away. And I'm telling you, that's not what you need to do. When you find yourself in that situation where I'm doing poorly, I've done poorly for the last week, month, half a year, whatever. You, that's the time you need to come into those relationships. And I'm not saying you got to come in and say, I'm sinning terribly and I don't know it. If, if you have that relationship, fine. But I'm saying it isn't that. It's that you need to come and be around other people who Jesus lives in. Right? And he will work. 
and he will make a difference in your life. So we grow close to the Lord together and we do that by on purpose getting together with people, whether we're in a Bible study or a life group or even just on your own, but you're getting together because you're fellow Christians. That's why you're getting together. God will use it in your life. Now, second thing is Paul talks about this. They had served with him. They served the Lord with him. They actually, we see they're serving him even now by sending them support that he needed, okay? When we serve the Lord together, it draws us closer to the Lord. And something else is happening here. Something else is happening. What about when you serve the Lord with people for years? You serve together for years. You know, that accelerates your closeness to Jesus. But it does something else. Have you seen it yet? Okay, so look, look where do we all start? Start separate, two paced. But I want you to look at where these people who serve the Lord together for years, where do they end up? Go ahead, Eduardo. Close. I mean, I was thinking about it yesterday and today. I'm thinking about some of you who we have been together for years. We've had good times, we've had bad times, we've had hard times, we've had, and God has worked. People come to Christ, our lives have been changed. And man, I, I wouldn't give that up for the world. And so we need each other. And here's the danger when we, here's where you can end up if you don't pursue the Lord together. Okay? If you don't serve, if you don't draw close together, you end up separate. You end up out there on your own. Or like this poor guy here who's fading out. All right? What's that? You're, you're that person? Not anymore. You're here today. Right? Hey, everybody look. It's Stephen. Can you see him? Can you see him? Okay. He's not fading away. We're not, God isn't letting him. And we're, you know, so what I want you to see is this, that what God has given us, this, what work has he already done? You know, he has given us a bond that's better than blood. And we need to lean into that and take you know, take advantage of that in our lives. Okay, so we've seen, you know, that he's always at work in our lives. We've seen some things that he's already done. Well, what is he still going to do? Well, we aren't going to look at the whole list. We're going to look at what Paul says here in our letter at this point. Some work God plans to complete. Let's go to verse 9. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Let me just sum it up like this. One of the things God wants to teach you to do is to love wisely. To love wisely. First of all, our world does not understand uh, what the kind of love that godly love is. The kind of love of Christ that he puts in us. And, and here's, here's how we would define love from God's perspective. It's when you always act in the best interests of the person you're loving, even if it's hard or costly to you. Okay? So we're loving someone. You know, when, when I fell in love with Glenda, I got to admit to you, this definition did not run through my head. I felt like it was in my best interest to be pursuing her, which it was. But we learned to love. We have to make conscious choices. Words, it's not a warm, fuzzy, sappy kind of love we're talking about. It's a love that, that looks at this person and says, I am 
devoted to what's in your best interest. And that might cost me something. Sometimes that might be hard. You know what this is? This is when, you know, you've, you've, somebody finds themselves in a situation. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at this. All right. So not to his, you need to love more and more, abound still more and more in this kind of love. Well, how do you know what is wise? How do you know what's in somebody's best interests? How do you know? Well, first thing you got to know is you got to know what God says, right? Because what God says is always in that person's best interest. Always. And so you need to learn what God says, okay? Knowledge. And then all discernment. This is where you take that knowledge and you figure out, you can see, well, how does that apply here to this person? How does that apply in these circumstances? I need discernment from the Lord. And so he's saying, I want you to grow in the knowledge of his word. And then you know my word and then my spirit in you. And looking at the situation, you can be discerning in your love. Give you an example. The idea here is to say that somebody's in, they made some really bad decisions. And, and you have the love of Christ here and you're connected with them. They made some really bad decisions and it's going to go, oh, it's going to cost them. It's going to be hard. And you're going to, uh, you have a choice. You have the ability so you have the ability to bail them out of this situation. That might literally be bail them out or bail them out in some other way, financially or relationally, whatever. You might have the ability to, to, to do that. Now, should you do that? Well, Lord, I want to act in this person's best interest. What's your word said? Your word says we reap what we sow. At the same time that you show us mercy. So we, this could go either way, right? But you pray and then the Holy Spirit helps you to reach a conclusion that this is in your best interest. And it might be that, no, I'm not bailing you out. You need to learn here. You need to deal with the consequences of your choices. But there might be other times you just come to the no, I'm, I'm bailing you out of this. I'm helping you out. Now let's go forward and don't do that again. That's what Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery, right? Yes. Nobody says, okay, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay. All right, so we need to learn to love wisely. And then verse 10, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So approve the things. This prove is a word that means to evaluate and to choose or prefer. Okay, so he's saying when you have choices before, you know, usually in life when we have choices to make, usually there's a really bad choice we could make, right? Isn't there? That's a really bad choice or a bunch of choice I could make here. Then there's choices. Well, that's, that's, we would say it's a good choice. It's an acceptable choice. And oftentimes we do that by comparing it to the bad choice. Okay? And then there's an excellent choice. The excellent choice. He says that's what we need to be committed to. What's the best? All right? And then he says that you'd be sincere. Sincere means without hypocrisy, Right? You're genuine. You have integrity. And then he talks about, um, oh, without offense. Now, this is not sinful. Uh, and it's not maybe sinful. It's not sinful. Okay. So how do we know what the best choice is? Well, two things here. One is you say, can I make this choice without being a hypocrite? Right, am I really compromising what I say I believe and what I'm really doing here? Can I make this choice without being hip? Can I make this choice with integrity? And without offense then, we say, okay, 
if, if, can I make this choice without sinning? Well, sure, but okay. It's, if you look at it and say, well, I don't know if it's sinful. So I'll do it. I mean, Romans 14 says, don't do that. But so, so we want to ask, can I do this without sinning or maybe sinning? I gotta, I'm not going to do it. Here's, the, here's my statement. Here's my little poem. You know, we, we think things are black and white, right? But there's a lot of gray too, huh? And so we say, oh, it's okay. I can live in the gray area. No, no. If it's gray, stay away. You want to make the excellent choices? This is what Paul says. I want you to figure out what's excellent. Do that. You have to be able to do it without being a hypocrite. And then you need to do it where if there's no gray here. There's no question that this is good. A good thing to do. And so this idea is to make purposeful decisions that align with God's word. Okay, that's what you're doing at this point. Go ahead and go to that, Edward, if you would. Make purposeful decisions that align with God's word. Okay, and then finally, this last verse. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits. Fruit. Huh. This isn't something you produce. This is something it says there that Jesus is going to produce in your life. When you live righteous, that's what he talks about, fruits of righteousness. And so the idea is, I want to live the way the Lord wants me to live. I'm letting his word shape my thinking. I'm trying to follow his commands. I'm learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's working here. I'm connecting with other Christians. I'm doing all of those kinds of things. He says, there will be fruit on that tree. There will be results of righteousness in your life. You will experience that. And, and it's something that God does. You've got to do your part. You've got to do the righteousness part. I mean, the right living part. This is about cooperating with God. You've got to do that. But when you do that, results come. Think about this. So here you are. You're trying to live the way the Lord wants to. And, you, and you're thinking about money. Wow, money. That's, that's kind of, I like my money. And you're reading about what God says. And you start to realize, wait a minute. I can't let my money uh, be my God. I can't. Let's put my money before God. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, God says, you need to give. You need to give your money away so it doesn't have a hold on you. Okay, and then you read and you go, wow, I keep saying 10% here and there and the other place. What's up with that? And you start to think, and at some point you say, okay, I'm going to trust God. And I'm telling you my story here, really. We're going to trust God and we're going to, to give the way he wants. We're going to avoid debt. We're going to try to be good stewards and frugal, not waste our money. We say no to ourselves in a lot of things. We do all that. But you know what you, what's the fruit? What's the result in your life? One day you realize we're financially stable. The world goes up and down. We're okay. You see that? A couple weeks ago we talked about sexual morality. And if you will buy into, no, don't buy into, surrender to God's teachings on sexual morality, you will avoid a lot of damage in your life, relational damage. You could actually have diseases and those kinds of problems. Uh, you will experience, when you get, when you start living by God's morality, you'll start to experience a freedom within. And I don't know how to explain that to you, but it's true. A freedom comes from that. And, and your life will be different. It won't be like the people around you in the world whose lives are devastated because of their moral choices. Okay? Uh, like we talked about today, relationships, right? You're, you're 
working on relationships and, and we're growing together and that includes your husband and wife if you have it or you have, uh, you're not married and you have friends and family relationships and all that and it's just life gets good. Even when life is hard, life gets good. Glenda and I have been in a number of places in our lives where life was pretty hard but you know what? It was still good. There were still fruits, results of righteousness in our lives. Um, and it's just crucial. We need to do this. And so what this is, he says here, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. When you live this way, this is not a natural way to live. This is, I need the Holy Spirit working in my life way to live. This is, I need the Lord to help me to see things right way to live, right? It's not a natural way to live because if you live, if we all go out of here today and we just do what comes natural, I probably won't even see some of you next week, right? No, it's not a natural way to live this way. It's a supernatural way to live. It's a life lived in dependence on the Lord. It's a life lived the way that he says we ought to live. It's a life lived because you know what? He is becoming more and more the, the, as, as Glenda talked to the ladies yesterday, he's become more and more the delight of my heart, right? And I'm experiencing that in my life. Other people will notice. That's what I want you to see. Because guess what? You don't look natural. And they don't know what it is, but what it is is they're seeing supernatural. They're seeing God and his word and his spirit at work in your life. And you have an opportunity then to what? Invite them into what you have. So let's summarize here today. <clears throat> Some work God's plans to, and I, go ahead and go to that, Eduardo. I just ignored the point I wrote. So live in a way that produces results that point people to Jesus. So finally, God is always working in our lives. He's always working in our lives. We need to believe it. Okay, believe it. And that means, remember, belief isn't just knowing, it's knowing and then taking a step that I'm going to trust that it's really true. I know it's true, so I'm going to act on it. We need to believe it. We need to remember it. You know, this is one of the things I've been asking God recently for me is, Lord, I know this is true. I don't have any doubts about this, but I find myself going through large sections of time without giving it a thought. Now, that's not a sin, but I want to become more aware. You know I, mean? I want to remember this. God's working, he's doing something in my life right now. Okay, then cooperate with him in it. That comes down to that very first point up here. We surrender to the Lord, you know, saying yes to him, cooperate with him in it more and more, do a better job of that, and then finally share it with others. Man, you got something to share. You really do. If you haven't received Christ as Savior, like I talked about today, it starts there for you. If you have a question about that, please reach out. Please connect with me. Pastor Dave or a brother, someone you know here, we'd love to help you with that. So let's pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will uh, stir our hearts in it and uh, be honored and glorified, Lord, by our responses in it. And we look forward to the blessings that you bring because of that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.